morning. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, I just drove through your neighborhood over the week. I went down to the the American Hostess Society convention down in Ames, Iowa. So I drove through the, well, the freeway anyway by, by Heartland. And I was just saying before we got on the air, I feel like, you know, there's farming down there and you see lots of corn, but you also see, it looks like you're growing a lot of those giant wind turbines. And I almost felt spacey, like extraterrestrial you know, I felt so tiny in these giant wind turbines. Just amazing. Yeah, and we have 144 of them right where I am here. And there's a certain time of year where the sun reaches a certain level about, uh, you know, 4 or 5 o'clock. And you're driving along, and those shadows whip across the road in front of you. And it, uh, the first time that happened, you go, oh, what was that? <laughs> really? And then you, then you kind of get used to it. But it's still kind of, I don't know, creepy is too much of a word there. But it's, uh, it's certainly different. Well, but, when I was uh, on the way down, they were all moving. But on the way back, they weren't. I guess it's because when there's no wind, they just sit. Is that, I mean, that's what happens, I guess. It, that and when they have no room for more power, so they will shut oh. down. If there's a lightning or if the wind gets too strong, they shut down. If there's lightning, uh, I forget within how many miles they shut down. So there's, but a lot of times I'll see them on a fairly windy day and they're not moving at all because there's just no place, I guess, to put the power. So oh. it's, uh, kinda, and that concerns people always because they say, "Why? Well, what do we have them if they're not spinning? They should be spinning all the time. Yeah, that but, seems like a waste. Like you somehow should build the infrastructure to use all that. Yeah, and I think that was part of the problem with a lot of them when they first got them going. They built them because, well, you know, that's the way we do things. We build stuff and then hope hope it all works out. <laughs> and there wasn't enough uh, transmission lines to oh. handle it all. So it was just... It's a, it's a weird world sometimes, but I am feeling groovy just like Simon and Garfunkel. So oh, I think, good. I think Tuesdays the thirteenth are lucky days. So oh. I'm going to go with that. I'm going to start a new tradition. I I do want to thank Wow W O W Women of Worth at Crossroads Church and also the Albert Lee Audubon Society for allowing me to to blab with them. <laughs> I watched a couple of turkey vultures make. Venn diagrams in the sky, and then I spotted some hoofed ruminants that are dear to us, and while I was doing all that, a crow flew into this little pond, and it had a colorful snack bag, and just every color of the rainbow was on this snack bag, and it uh, waddled over to the water of a pond and started dipping this snack bag in there. I don't know what was in it. I tried to see. I didn't have my binoculars for, I don't know why I didn't, but uh, I was having the oil changed in my car, so I just went for a walk. And I don't know what what was in there, whether it was Cheetos or potato chips. Why is it doing that? You know, crows are notorious for soaking food in water. Are they cleaning it? You know, they eat roadkill, so I don't think they're cleaning that food. It's probably more than just softening softening the food. They have young ones. Uh, I ran into a whole little uh, nice little family here in my backyard, and baby crows rely on their parents to provide foods, and those foods should contain enough moisture 
to prevent dehydration, and I think moistened food would help, even if it's some something from a snack bag. I don't know what that is. So they'd be getting salt, and maybe they're just trying to eliminate some of the salt from it. I have a service berry. Oh, folks, one of my favorite uh, small trees or shrubs. Some people call them June berry, shad bush, uh, Saskatoon berry. It's a small tree or shrub. It's native to Minnesota. The ripe fruit it can be eaten fresh. I think it's delicious. People use it in jams and jellies and pies and service berries attractive to pollinators birds and other animals and a story that i've heard all my life maintains that the first settlers in the new england area planned their funeral services at the same time that the service berry trees bloomed a sign that the ground had thawed sufficiently to dig graves and that's how the tree became known as a service berry but I I think that origin is disputed, so I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't take that to the bank. But it's still a a neat story on how it uh, how it's got its name. I uh, went for a walk this morning. Wild ginger, oh people call it so woodland ginger, Canada ginger, snake root, uh, colic root, colt's foot. Uh, sturgeon potato, and then there's an odd name, name pin. Uh, I have no idea what that means or why it's called that. But it has these fuzzy green heart or kidney-shaped leaves, and below them is a small brown to burgundy bowl-shaped flower. And the color and scent of the blooms attract early spring gnats, flies, and beetles. The flowers, if you uh, you pluck one or get down there and smell it, it smells like rotten meat, although the scent <laughs> isn't really noticeable if you're around them. We have a lot of them in my yard as ground cover. Uh, our spring ephemeral wildflowers uh, are pretty much gone, but trilliums, trout lilies, dutchman's breeches, violets, hepatica, rue anemone, bloodroot, um, they they make the most of their limited time here by using ants as a strategy for seed dispersal. And so spring ephemerals are pollinated by bees, wasps, beetles, and other insects. But the ants are the ones that spread the seeds from May through July. I watched hummingbirds, uh, male hummingbirds. There's actually two territories. The male has his territory and the female has hers. Uh, male hummingbirds are they aggressively protect their territories and they choose their territories because of an abundance of food nectar and water and their territories are about a quarter acre so they're not huge but the hummingbirds not huge females define their territories by the area around their nest so both male and female hummingbirds are fiercely protective of their turf Males are more likely to exhibit territorial behavior around backyard feeders or flowers. I uh, led a walk the other day, and I took something called Merlin along. Uh, Not not the magician. Well, it is a magician. Uh, Every day somebody asks me, what was that bird? I heard a bird, and I say, well, what does it sound like? And, you know, unless we're really talented, most of us aren't very good at mimicking birds. <laughs> you know, we can do uh, we can do a chickadee and things. And there are yeah, and somebody saying, you know, if there was only an app that could tell you. 
Well, there is. There's a free app. It's called Merlin. It's created by the Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And one of the app's features is called Sound ID, which analyzes audio in real time. And you can discover feathered neighbors by opening the app, clicking Sound ID, and then you press a microphone icon. The app records all sounds, suggests bird identification, and it's that simple. It's free. I, I tell everybody that, uh, you know, check your allotted uh, space in there because it will use up some space, of course. But Merlin ID, I took it for a walk in the yard here, and it was amazing how many birds it found. A Baltimore Hill was just doing a short whistle, and it identified it as an osprey. So it is not 100%, but, boy, I bet it's 90% or 95% or something. It's really amazingly good, and I think it'll get better. Again, it's free. It's called Merlin. Al, it's ironic that you should mention that because Ron Hartman of Freeborn Lake said, Al, my Merlin phone app has identified two birds this spring that are new to me. The first is the brown-headed cowbird. What connection do cows have with it? And the second is a dick thistle. Dick dickistle? What is up with dick that? Thistle. Dick thistle. Yeah, what is up with that name? So first the cowbird he saw wants to know if they have a connection to cows and the next is the dick thistle which is uh wondering what's up with the name. Hey, thanks Ron. It's a good guy there. So it's uh, nice to hear from him. He lives on Beautiful Freeborn Lake, i got to add that, uh, right near where you'd kind of expect it to be. Freeborn, Minnesota. Uh, Dick Sissels are the last bird that I see here uh, as far as migrating in. They're like a poor man's metal arc. They're just smaller. They have this cardigan sweater look, and they sing their name. And I think that's how they got their name, Ron. I uh, I don't know any other way. I'm doing a breeding bird survey uh, right, well, tomorrow. And one of the reasons I kind of wait to do it till a few days have gone by in June is because I always want to hear the dick sissels. They're just, they're lovely little birds. They're kind of, a, if you look at them from the back, they're kind of a sparrowy looking guy. But then they have a little yellow above the eye and they have a little black bib and they're just, ah, oh, they're incredibly, incredibly beautiful. And brown-headed cowbirds, they like cows. Every year somebody sends me a photo of either a starling or a brown-headed cowbird on a cow. And uh, they're, uh, they make a high, boy, there's a song I wish I could do. It's kind of like dripping water. They do all these different sounds. And they are really beautiful birds. Uh, people do not like them very much because they're nest parasites. So they're not the most popular of bird. I used to work at the Kirtland's Warbler thing out in Michigan, and they would live trap these guys. Just try to to get so the Kirtlands could reestablish their population, and it works. So I'm happy to have that. Are they eating insects around the cows? Yeah, you know, but they feed mostly on seeds from grasses and weeds, uh, throw in some crop grains, but they do eat insects. 
uh, grasshoppers and beetles, and they are often caught as cows and horses stir them into movement. Oh. So they could have easily been called horse, brown-headed, <laughs> brown-headed horse birds or brown-headed buffalo birds, because I imagine they did the same thing with our bison. So they could have been brown-headed bison birds. And uh, female cowbirds will lay up to 40 eggs in the nests of other birds. So as you might imagine by that, they're not a very big bird. They have a huge calcium requirement for laying so many eggs. So to satisfy that, they will eat snail shells on occasion and sometimes eggs taken from nests they've visited. And, boy, I can just imagine how how tasty snail shells are i just <laughs> do they so do, thank you would Ron. they taste their or would they eat their own eggshells do you think or would they just do somebody else's i would guess they'd probably just do someone oh. else's <laughs> they're not nice uh, but, yeah unless they dropped one on the ground who knows what they'd eat then you know you, if you get hungry enough you might eat anything oh i did look up this reminds me somebody uh we were talking about the uh Hummingbirds becoming impaled in jelly last mm-hmm. week, and they reference bird safer jelly at Wild Birds Unlimited. So I went right to the top, uh, Wild Birds Unlimited. So they have, uh, they offer bird berry jelly, and it says you can attract Orioles and other fruit loving birds with a delicious great blackberry jelly made especially for wild birds. It's made with real fruit juice, sugar, and pectin. It contains no high fructose corn syrup like most grocery store brands, so it's better for your backyard birds. This is an ad from Wild Birds Unlimited. I should add that. Uh, Unique grape and blackberry jelly is an instant hit when used with any of our WBU Oreo feeders. Uh, Blackberry jelly features no artificial flavors, no preservatives and does not need refrigeration and then they just referenced their feeders so maybe some of the feeders i didn't see anything that said some of them are safer maybe some of them have very small portals for the birds to eat the jelly so it's making it impossible for them to uh to get stuck in there and i don't know i didn't see that but that'd be a good thing if they could find it okay charlie from wells says i have a question for albat i rescued a baby robin that could only fly a little bit from a grain pit the other day and the parents were upset with me while i was trying to rescue it after i had returned the bird to the open area it was and it was able to fly the parents and it seemed to be some other friends were still very upset with me and were closing in on me a little bit by little bit for up to five minutes after I had rescued their young. I was trying to whistle softly to calm them down, but they were making me uncomfortable while I was working, so I whistled extremely loud and scared them off. Do you suppose that they still saw me as a threat? Do you know why they would still be so angry at me even after I saved their baby? Charlie from Wells. <laughs> Charlie, it's great to hear from you. And yeah, they, uh, you know, they don't know that we're up to good things sometimes. They see us as predators when we grab their young because their baby's crying. And you know how it is with a crying baby. Uh, I've held a lot of crying babies, and somebody quickly snatches them from my arms and doing this or something. So that's that's true. And uh, I don't think they remember faces, Charlie, as well as crows do. 
If you tick off a crow, I think they remember your face forever. They've done a lot of tests on that. So I'm sure the Robins will get over it. But they were just, it was nothing personal. They were just protecting their baby. And when they yell, then the relatives come over. They may have been fighting about everything, but all of a sudden you are their common enemy because you're chasing a little baby. And robin babies get out of the nest much too early. They can't fly. They're down there on the ground. So it's uh, they just kind of flutter around, and the parents take care of them. They're great parents. So you did a good thing, Charlie, and sometimes we uh, we take a little abuse when we do good things. Heard from Micah, uh, sent a thing to you, Karen, mm-hmm. and said, please talk about the wolverine. Uh, always happy when something so rare is spotted. And hopefully there's a mate nearby, if there's time, a couple of groaners for Al. What do you call a hippie's wife? And which bear is the most condescending? And a hippie's wife is a (laughs) Mississippi. Uh. And a bear that's most condescending, a panda. I didn't hear about the wolverine. I was going to check on that. I don't know where it was seen or anything, Micah, so I'm, I'm behind. I've been traveling and working out of state. Uh, I know, I I looked up something that I'd written like a year or so ago, and the last wolverine seen in Minnesota at that time, the last official record of a wild wolverine in Minnesota was a specimen taken in, oh, nobody will get the year right, 1899 in Itasca County. But the University of Minnesota says wolverines were more common in northern Minnesota until nearly extirpated by trappers in the 1920s. So those numbers don't, or dates don't match up. The Wolverine Foundation says the most recent verifiable record of a wolverine occurring in Minnesota was from that 1899, but mentions a documented record from northeastern Minnesota in 1965. A wolverine shot and killed in North Dakota was in 2016, was the first wolverine reported in that state in nearly 150 years. So I'm going to check on that. I'm sorry I missed uh, any wolverine reports there, Micah. Uh, Mary, oh gosh, Monier. Monier, M-O-N-N-I-E-R, from Grand Meadow. How about Manier? You think it'd be Manier? I don't know. I got Mary right, I think. And she said, uh, she sent me a photo and said, this hawk is bathing outside my living room window in a bird bath. And yesterday I found a bunch of gray morning dove feathers under my bird feeder. Uh, And I've noticed my hummingbird population has decreased. Is he or she the culprit? I live... uh, It's an exhibitor, and it looks like it might be a Cooper's hawk, Mary, as it's a sizable raptor, likely a female. Cooper's hawks are noted for preying upon morning doves, and I'm generalizing here, but sharp-shinned hawks target smaller birds such as sparrows. Uh, Joanne Phillips of Heartland says Orioles for the first time nesting in their farmyard and hearing Eurasian collar doves every day. Uh, Jeannie Mortensen of Faribault says, I have a duck problem. I don't have my wildlife license anymore, so I need help. A mama duck has nested across the street and sitting on a huge number of eggs. Papa is with her and is no longer around. I put a large bowl of water there, and she's eating grass. She's starting to pluck some down from her nest and is sitting for over a week. There's no water around. And if and when they hatch, it'll be a nightmare. There's a four-way stop where she's nesting. 
who could I call to get help? There's also a mean old cat running. Uh, great to hear from you, Janie. Uh, this is something really happens quite often. Mallard hens like nesting places that feel secure to them. And the drake, he's a deadbeat dad. <laughs> they don't incubate the eggs or provide any care. But he shows up once in a while because the pair bond may persist after she lays her eggs. In that case, the males may accompany females when they take their daily breaks from incubating. And a typical clutch, you know, it might be up to 13 eggs. And she lays the eggs at one or two day intervals. And she doesn't begin incubation till all the eggs are laid. Um, Weather conditions during the laying phase don't seem to affect the clutch much. Once incubation begins, the mallard, she'll sit on those eggs most of the day for 25, maybe 29 days. Uh, as far as waking, you know, if you see her coming out or getting close, I would notify uh, if there's a local animal control or maybe police officers. Otherwise, if you have good neighbors, you know, people uh, people get joy out of helping ducks across roads. It's just a neat thing to do, and it, it makes us feel like we're earning our oxygen. So good luck with that, Jeannie. I've, and Dean Musing, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say, I've got a note from our friend Jennifer yeah, may oh, I, sure. Do you want me to read that now? I've, she sure. says, hello, ma'am. Please ask the bird guy about peacocks. A few years ago, my friend's father purchased a few peacocks. The family lives on a farm in central Minnesota. He did not clip their wings or try to contain them in any way. He put some food down and thought that, that would they'd stick around this year, his yard. They did not, in fact, stick around in his yard. They promptly made a break for it and got the heck out of Dodge while the <laughs> getting was good. I heard reports of peacocks being sighted in the area for the rest of the summer, including one that got hit by a car. Imagine that. The guy's surprise. But I never heard anything else about them. Where are the pe- Where are peacocks from? Do you think they could survive out there on their own? Do you think that those fancy uh, birds could eventually grow from a few birds to a full-blown population like parakeets in New York City? Would the gene pool be too small for that with just a few birds? I'm not a hunter, but would it be legal to shoot one if you saw it? Do people eat peacocks? Do you think they taste like fancy chicken? Thank you, Jennifer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Jennifer. Uh, I raised them for many, many years, so uh, I've... uh, they are uh, beautiful birds. I know they're the blue and the Indian peafowl. They come from India. And we had some green peafowl, and they're from Southeast Asia. And there is an African species that I did not have. They are big birds. They don't like being, at least ours didn't like being cooped up. They like being up in the trees, and they would make these loud sounds. And They are, I've never eaten one, so I can't tell you (laughs) what they taste like. I would guess pheasant if I had to guess. And they... And there's places where they, uh, not in Minnesota probably so much, but there's places in this country where there is a a feral population of them, so they they are able to breed and at least uh, survive. Some of them do survive. So thank you, Jennifer. If you've eaten one, you know, let us know what it tastes like. Uh, Dean Musing sent me a picture of a black squirrel with a kind of a reddish-colored tail. I see that every so often. 
it was in uh, his daughter in White Bear Lake took a picture of it, and he asked if bluebirds will nest in the yard with tree swallows. If tree swallows are nesting in a bluebird box, if you put another box, you put them in pairs, maybe 5 to 25 feet apart, Dean, the swallows and bluebirds are both territorial and will normally keep members of their own species out of the second box. But bluebirds and swallows, they get along fairly well. So providing two boxes gives both species nesting sites. Matt Zebro of Wells sent me a photo of an albino robin, a young one, and it was all white and had red eyes. He said, I've never seen one in my life and doubt I will again. I thought it was worth sharing with you. Matt, it was. Uh, Roger Davidson sent me an article from the New York Times about kestrel numbers that are decreasing. And we all remember DDT being banned and what in the 70s and bald eagles and peregrine falcons have rebounded. Uh, the Swainson's hawk, they didn't know why their numbers were crashing. And then they figured out finally because they tracked them to Argentina and they followed them to sunflower and alfalfa fields there. They found hundreds of dead Swainson's oh. hawks. The birds had died after the land had been sprayed. It was an insecticide that was killing them. Advocates worked with a chemical company, and the hawks stabilized. Kestrel numbers are going down. They've dropped 30% since 1970, but efforts to find a smoking gun for kestrel declines have been inconclusive. And Paul Gotland of Kenyon said, I may well be imagining it, but fireflies seem to signal more and more brightly when competing with distant lightning. Have you ever noticed such behavior? Uh, Paul, I've, I've heard of people using flashlights to get them to flash, and also I think I've read or heard something about them competing with distant lightning, but it doesn't come to me right now. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee, he is the Albert Lee Audubon Society Purple Martin Landlord uh, super, Superintendent, and he says as of June 12, 2023, there are 147 eggs in that uh, Purple Martin setup. Oh, hey, thanks, oh, everybody. Don't go, don't oh, go yet, sorry, Al. We've got go. a couple more. <laughs> I've got a couple oh, cool. more. You're, you're very popular, Al, so here we Wonderful. go. This is from our friend John in New Ulm. He says, somebody at work showed me a picture of a baby deer sleeping on the ground at Flandreau State Park and also a picture of a baby goat. He says, I think they are using those goats there to control mustard weed and buckthorn. Wish I had a few goats by my dad's house. And then he says... Uh, Al has his way. I have mine. He says, if it's KMSU in Minnesota morning, you're at the right place. Get it, Karen? Oh, I got it. Okay. Thank you, John. <laughs> and then he says that uh, something he thought of, he saw, said, potholes get free refills. I can't get a free refill for coffee at Quick Trip. <laughs> he says that's he said, that's part of my comedy routine that I do for an audience of myself. And then he, he just texted me, he says, if we're lucky, some weeks soon will we uh, be seeing lightning bugs, usually towards the end of June. So uh, have you seen any, or are they out yet? Yeah, yep, so okay. look for them. Uh, we sat uh, oh, by uh, the Elberly Audubon Preserve in Albert Lee, and um, they were landing on us. There oh. were quite a number of them out there. So and they're harmless, beautiful. they don't harm anything, do they? They're just... They do not, Okay, no. so leave them alone. What do they eat then? You know, I don't know if they're adults. You know, very often insects as adults 
eat nothing. Oh. So they they have other things on their mind, and who has the time to eat when you have those other things on your mind? So I think a lot of them probably do not eat anything. We do have a number of species here, and their larvae eat snails and worms and slugs. Oh. I would guess the adults, if I see them on some flowers and things, so I would guess that they might uh, nectar or eat pollen. And then there's one, at least one species that the adults eat other fireflies. So there's uh, quite a difference in their diets. I've got one more. Hello, this okay. is a question for Al Bat. If I have the right number, which they did, is Al going to be touring anywhere soon? What are some dates that I could see him in the Mankato area. Thank you. Um, thanks. Boy, I'd have to look that up, and I promise you I will mention that. I am going to be on the Pelican Breeze, I know, four, t- four or five times coming up here, a, a big boat that goes out on the lake, and we look at stuff. So I'm going to make a note of that, and I will mention it next week. I want to thank everyone for sitting on the front porch with us yeah you know i've been bunking in a lovely hotel in ohio you know ohio round on the ends and high in the middle i enjoyed being in the buckeye state the temperature attempted to exceed the 80s it was like 88 i think as i climbed into bed and the air conditioning screamed i mean screamed and my wife always says things scream like a banshee this one <laughs> screamed like a banshee and then it began to whimper like that and i tried to tough it out i didn't figure sweating would kill me but then the air conditioner it emitted a smell of fried wiring so i hoofed it down the three floors to the front desk and they were wonderful they gave me another room right next door that was identical to the first so all i had to do is move my stuff one door I found life is good if you can keep your cool. Remember Heartland as well, we're driving past. Thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And I will uh, find my schedule. And if I miss somebody here, I promise we'll get to you next week. Thank you, Karen. As always, I enjoy your company. Well, thank you, Al. We'll talk to you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.